The following Truth Barista podcast is a High Beam Ministry production. I can remember when my kids were young, growing up, that we made choices as a family. My wife and I made choices that really were in the best interest of our kids. We were raising kids. Um, for example, if we wanted to go out to eat dinner, we would pick the spot that was really better for them than it was for us. If we didn't really want to eat there, but that's good for our kids, so we go there. What movie should we go out and see? Well, I didn't see the movies I wanted to see. I ended up seeing the movies my kids wanted to see. Uh, what kinds of vacations should we take? Well, we're going to take kid-friendly vacations, right? Because we're raising young people and we want to do what's in the best interest of young people. Well, we have a great opportunity as a church because it turns out as a church family, we are raising young people. They're around us all the time. And we have a choice. Do we want to have church be the way that's good for me at my age? Well, no, I'm raising kids in the church. I want to shape my faith in a way that blesses them. Welcome to the Airzats Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your truth barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. Truth Barista, it's always a joy to see you sitting here in the booth and you've got your Bible open and your computer and you're putting together, I don't know what, but it's probably something to teach people about God, right? Well, it is. You know, it's been funny. We've been getting a lot of new Christians from Big Brain University and the surrounding neighborhood here coming into the coffee shop, and I keep hearing a very similar question from many of them. You know what that is? Well, let's see. I'm trying to think back when I first became a believer. I think the question is, what's next? Very good. That's what it is. It's what does God want me to do? What's next? Because, you know, a lot of people hear, well, I went to church on Sunday and gave my heart to the Lord, but what do I do now? And, you know, I was just kind of thinking that, you know, we need to be prepared for those guys and gals that come into here in the Arizats coffee shop and, and ask that question. So is that what you're doing when you're looking through the Bible and you're typing? into your are you are you putting together something we can use I'm trying to come up with something that's nice and compact that somebody can just hear and get a hold of and give them a good launching point two one See, we need to give them a good, strong launching point. See, because when I first came to the Lord back in high school, nobody really led me to do anything. I mean, you hear things like, well, you should read the Gospel of John, or talk to God more, or things like that. And it's like, well, how do I do this? How do we get people started? So I've been thinking about my own experience, and maybe you can help me put this together today. Oh, I'd love to, yeah. <laughs> so here it is. Where do we go? What do we, what do, we do? Okay, well, the first thing I was thinking of is for a, a person that's seeking God, the very first place you have to start is you need to come to God. Now, I like the way this guy I've heard, Dr. Michael Heiser, talks about this. He kind of puts salvation in a different perspective. He puts it in terms of a kingdom, because that's really what it is. Colossians chapter 1 says, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, into God's kingdom. So, he's basically saying salvation is the act of swearing allegiance to the one true God and denying allegiance to the enemy. 
Now, Jesus has done everything through his sacrifice to make that happen. What we have to do is say, I don't want that. And we turn toward God and say, I want you. That act of turning is that complicated word called repentance. Isn't that cool? Well, it is cool. And I remember as a young believer, uh, it took me several years to unlearn, if I can use that term, unlearn the things I learned in the world. So I was unlearning bad behavior and then at the same time learning good behavior or good things I need to put in my life, you know, as a result of reading God's word and studying his word. And, you know, you're absolutely right because that's the very next thing that follows. So if I was just kind of sitting here writing down on the pad, the first thing is turning from, I guess you could say your old life and a sinful life and the, and the life in this world and all that, and turning toward God. That's step number one. So step number two is now what do we do? And really it kind of comes down to what God said to the Israelites. And as it's also recorded in the New Covenant scriptures, he says, be holy as I am holy. In other words, he's saying, this is the way I am. I want you to begin to be like me and learn to be like me. And that means learn to think like God, learn to act like God, learn to feel like God, learn to see from God's perspective. It's all these things of becoming like he is. In other words, do the right thing all of the time. Exactly. I mean, now, you think that way, right? Exactly, yeah. And I know we're all going to, you know, we're, we're imperfect human beings, right? I mean, you seem to be kind of perfect, right? Uh, well, especially you. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, okay. So moving right along. But what I'm saying is I know we're all human beings who are struggling, and we're not always going to be right all the time. And that's what's really nice about what Jesus has done for us, because First John says, if we say we have no sin— We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that implies that now we're forgiven, we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. Now we need to begin to act out the righteousness we have. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay, and now where do we find that righteousness? How do we learn how to live righteous? Well, it's all right there in the book. In other words, we have to study to learn and we have to learn to do. Oh, I just love that. One I of mean, my favorite models throughout my life. That is such good theology. It really is. It is. Because you have a, you were even telling me about this. You've got a ton of Christian friends who study, 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 and then give you all the information in the Bible, and they can parse the scriptures, and they can you know tell, give you all of the background and the history and all this stuff, and then you look at their lives and you're going... What are you doing with all that stuff? Well, it's like the song that I remember Keith Green singing back in, oh, the late 70s. You know, it's about, you know, you carry this big old Bible, but you're asleep in the light. Exactly. You're just not really utilizing all what you should be utilizing. You say you learn it, you, you are learning it, but what do you do with it? Yeah, we don't want to be asleep in the light. We want to be lit up by God and be that light to the world. Do you see, do you see, all the people sinking down? Don't you care, don't you care, are you gonna let them drown? How can you be so numb, not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. 
And how we become a light to the world is God beginning to form that light, releasing it through us. Let me give you a little context. When you start talking about light in the Bible, it has to do with the revealing of God through you. God's word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. So God's word is God's revelation to you how you should walk, correct? Correct, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if we are actually living his word, then we become that light to the world. And that's what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that they will see your good works. You see, the light he's talking about is the revelation of God, his word, in action. So we study to learn, and we learn to do. So the first thing is we need to get born again. That's the people who are, if you want to call them inquirers, right? Well, after that, what's what do you do? You have to study to learn, learn to do. You need to become like God. Well, let me back up just a moment. When you start talking about being born again, isn't there some kind of a spiritual experience that takes place that really now becomes sort of the foundation for what your life is to be like? And, and you talk about that experience because your life has changed. Okay, two things that just come to mind when you're talking to this is, number one, the new covenant that God talks about in Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 36, and Jeremiah 31. All three go together. God says, I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I'm going to take out a heart that is not responding to me, and I'm going to give you a heart that does respond to me. So you get a new heart. He says, and then I'm going to put a new spirit in you. He said, okay, so I've got a spirit that in my, so to speak, pre-God state is unresponsive to him. It's not connected. Well, when we get a new spirit, now we actually have a connection with God. We can hear him. We can interact with him. Then he says, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you. It's not enough that you get a a new spirit, a new spiritual life. You actually get him working with you. And then he says, and then I'm going to write my law on your heart. In other words, his word, his ways, the Holy Spirit's going to bring into you and start teaching you and guiding you. You know, this almost sounds kind of weird to you, I'm sure, but there are some people out there who have come to the Lord who start living as the Lord wants them to, and they've never seen a Bible. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is now prompting their consciences as to this is right and this is wrong. How much better if we actually learn what is right and wrong? Now the Holy Spirit has something to work with. The born-again thing is this transformation that's described by the new covenant. You get a restart. You get a new heart. You get a new spirit. And by the way, that particular phrase that David uses, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me, that word is the Hebrew word bara, which means it is a creation that only God can do. See, we can't create a new heart in ourselves. That's something that God does. It's kind of like God creating a new person. That is being born again. You're remade by God's action. Does that make sense? Oh, and it's so fascinating. And when you see the transformation in a person's life when that takes place, it's almost like day and night. Yes, we're not made perfect at that moment, but everything changes. You know, it's almost like when your coffee cup is empty, right? The born-again experience is getting that cup of coffee all full again. Exactly. I have this cup of coffee in front of me that is now currently dead. Yes. Would you please bring it back to, to life? life? And then we'll continue the conversation. You got it. 
Oh, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Do you love coffee? Do you love God and His Word? Oh, yeah. Well, tune into the Truth Barista for a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can find the podcast at truthbarista.com or highbeamministry.com. Highbeamministry.com. Well, hello there. How can I help you? Um, could I have a caramel macchiato, and could I get some extra caramel with that? Well, you know, certainly. You know, I see you around here quite often. Uh, do you live in the neighborhood? No, but I like your coffee. And on Fridays, I kind of sneak in on that little Bible study back there in the back booth. I kind of sit on the other side of the booth and drink my coffee and, and kind of eavesdrop. Ah, that's where I've seen you as well. Well, you know, I enjoy those discussions. It's, it's really a lot of fun. So what's the tip jar all about? Well, you know, it's our way of helping the Truth Barista kind of cover the expenses of this free study. You know, he comes in and does this and, you know, we put it out on the internet after the study is over and other people, you know, really around the world can enjoy what he has to say. So the donation tip jar is just a way for people to help him do all of that. Well, that makes sense. I've actually gotten some pretty good things out of just sneaking back there and listening. I think I'm going to probably do my part, too. Well, thanks. That helps a lot. Well, here's your coffee, and if you want to stick around a little bit, the Truth Barista's got more things to share. Sounds good. We're laying on our deathbed. You're not going to worry about how much money you had, how much power you had, how much prestige. You're going to see that that was all game, that that was all an illusion. The only thing that's going to matter is the impact you had on other people's lives. Oh my gosh, this Truth Barista is really great. I have learned so much from him, so I have been inviting more of my friends to join me in coming here to the coffee shop. Great coffee and great conversation. Oh, look at this. I've got born-again coffee here at the Airsats <laughs> Coffee Shop. <laughs> oh, sometimes these uh, these kind of word pictures are crazy. Just too they? weird, huh? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing that we have to do is realize that God does a new work in a person's life. But where do we go from there? He says, be like me. 
be holy as I am holy. So how do we do that? Well, there's two parts to that. There's God's part, and then there's our part. So first of all, not only does he remake you spiritually and give you that new heart, that new spirit, put his spirit in you, and then starts to speak his word to you, but it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being made into Jesus's image. See, God created humanity in his image to look like him, to act like him, to be like him in the first place. Well, after the fall, that image got screwed up. Well, now that we're born again, he's going, my son, Jesus, is the picture of what I want a human being to be who is walking right with me. You following that? I am. Okay, so it's the work of the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us to be like Jesus, to think like him, to act like him, to feel like him. Philippians 2.13, it says that God is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So this is what's really cool is in the very first place, not only does God remake you, but God refines you into his son's image. Okay, that's his part. What's our part? It is not to sit on our butt in a pew and listen to good messages and then forget what the pastor said and go out and live like hell. That's not what he wants from us. Let me put it this way. I once asked the Lord about how do you disciple people? Because I kept getting stuff as a pastor coming across my desk all the time. You know, you just need this program to make effective disciples. And there was so much stuff that came across my desk. And of course, it always came with a hefty price tag, right? And so I said, Lord, what is the best discipleship program? And this really small thought, this small voice popped into my head, look down on your desk. And there was my Bible. And he goes, you really don't need anything more than my word. And I was like, okay, show me. And he took me to Matthew 28. And what does it say? Go and make disciples of all nations. And then it talks about the conversion process, baptizing them, da-da-da. And then it said, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And the light popped on. He said, you want to make disciples? Teach them to observe. Teach them to do what? What Jesus commanded. What did Jesus command? His Father's Word. Where do we find His Father's Word? From Genesis 1-1 all the way to the back of Revelation. So this is why when somebody comes to me and says, what do I do now? It's like, read your Bible. And what comes to you, put into action. And that will begin to transform your life and form you into the image of his son who always did what his father wanted him to do. It is that simple. It is simple. And I think people get in the idea that I have to either go to Bible school or seminary or be a pastor or, you know, it's going to take me 20 years to learn enough to be able to be involved in the church. Not true. Whatever God has done in your life, to that point, you can use. For example, if I get saved and there's an experience there with the Holy Spirit, like you've explained, I can go out and tell others what happened to me. You're doing ministry at that point and making disciples at the same time by in inspiring them to do the same thing that happened to you. So let me ask you, complete this phrase for me. Actions speak louder 
than a fresh cup of coffee. No. Oh, absolutely all, all, not. All words. Speak louder than words. Very good. You know, sometimes I really wonder about you. I'm going to have to pray for you more. But anyway, you're right. Actions speak louder than words. The biggest witness that we have in our lives is not what we say, it's what we do. And that's what God is getting at for a disciple. Be like me. Do like me. Put my word in action. I love this. Let me go back to that Matthew 28, 20 reference. He says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Now, that word observe, I've got it written in the margin of my Bible here. It's the Greek word that means to attend to carefully, to take care of. Okay, so what are we supposed to attend to carefully and take care of? It says here, everything I've commanded you. Not some of what I've commanded you, but everything I've commanded you. Where do we find it? It's in the Bible. It says in in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is inspired by God, and it is suitable for training in righteousness. Now, I'm paraphrasing that, but that's what it's for. We've been given a righteousness by God. We've been made right with him. Everything's cool between us, but now he goes, now here's how you do it. Here's how you walk it out. What? Use his word, because it's suitable to train you how to do that. So what his word does is it teaches us what to do, and it teaches us what not to do. For example, here's some do stuff, some positive stuff. Be kind, love one another, honor one another, submit to one another, cooperate with one another. All these things are part of the positives. And there are some negatives in there. And I know a lot of the church doesn't want to hear this, but too bad. Don't let the sun go down on your anger when a day sets, when the sun sets in biblical thinking, that's the start of a new day. In other words, if you're going to be angry, take care of it now. Don't carry it into the next day. So there's a don't there. God's word also gives us boundaries to stay within and to avoid the things outside of the boundaries. So I'll give you a positive one. Sexual activity stays within the boundary of a husband-wife married relationship. That's a positive boundary. Outside of that boundary is stuff that God doesn't want you to do. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. But there are also some things he says, he gives us freedom from some of the musts and the you mays that aren't allowed. So for example, in religious laws, man-made religious laws, this one's going to really turn you on your ear. I can't wait to see your look on your face. You must always pray before you eat. Ooh. Okay, now, how many Christians do you know that when they sit down, it's like, oh, wait a minute, everybody put down your forks. We must pray before we eat. Oh, I know. I have some family members like that. Okay. And now, I've been like that. You know, and I'm not picking at them, but I kind of am. But, but it's funny because you show me in the Bible where it says that you have to pray before you eat. No, actually, the Jewish people have a very interesting take on that because the, the Torah says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, then you thank God. So they don't pray before the meal. You thank God after the meal. And you don't pray for the food because it says in Genesis, God, everything he created is already very good. So why would you ask God to bless what he's already blessed and called very good? You just thank him afterwards. So you see, there are some man-made things that we Christians don't have to do. Oh, I love that. I, I have to start practicing that. It's really fun. It's so, like, 
I'll be right in the middle of a great big juicy burger, and somebody goes, you didn't pray for the food. And I'm going, oh, but this is already very good. And while I'm going, thank you, God, for this big juicy burger. Ah." (laughs) (laughs) So, and afterwards, I could just see somebody with a big belch. Well, thanks, God. (laughs) (laughs) And you know something? And a mighty voice from heaven thundered, you're welcome. (laughs) I want to go back for just a second back to that whole sexual thing, because I think when, especially young people come to know the Lord, which is the reference you're making to many people who are coming into the coffee house these days. The hardest part for young people is the sexual purity. I just ran into a a series of young millennial believers Mm -hmm. who have been faithful in going to church and accepting Christ and his message, but are still living together without the benefits of marriage. Mm-hmm. And Very common so today. somehow, you know, that message has to be, your lifestyle has to be looked at. When we start asking the question, well, what's next? How does my life fit in to what the scriptures teach my life should be like? You know, with all due love and respect to the millennials that come in here and are at that place, I have to understand that not everybody has been perfected in God yet. Now, I'm not excusing their behavior. But I do encourage them, and I'm saying, you know, we're all in process. There are some people who have, you know, if they have a hard time with the whole sexual area in their lives, I also understand there are a lot of people that have a hard time with the anger issues in their lives. And I happen to know a guy who's a new believer, and boy, is his language salty. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is really incredible. Mm -hmm. My job then, as a more mature believer, is to encourage Mm -hmm. the growth, Mm-hmm. and to point out in the scriptures where Paul says, don't use coarse talk. Instead, let your words be seasoned well. To point out in the scripture where it says, yeah, it's a sin if you live together or you have sex outside of the marriage boundaries. But I also encourage them within the marriage boundaries, God says, yeah, that's what I created for. Have fun. Hmm, I think you're just a little bit too excited about that. You know, go crazy. That's what it's for. So... As a part of a discipleship thing, my job is to, to direct people to the scripture and to encourage them to put it into practice and to realize that, as a friend of mine says, and I love that she said this, everybody wakes up at a different time in the morning, which means God will be working in one person's life and in, be working in a different area in my life. So I can't impose on that other person what he's working on here. Now, I may not agree with it, and I certainly don't condone what is going on in that other person's life, but I don't want them to stay there, and I won't tell them to stay there. They need to continue to move on. Well, so what you're saying is that we need to be patient at many times and many junctures in life, right? Because it sometimes takes a while for people to understand what needs to change in their lives, and there needs to be coaching going on. You know, you don't get a superstar in, in the athletic field overnight. It takes a while for that. Even as talented as an athlete may be, it takes a long time for them to perfect that to be the superstar they become. Yeah, and that's true. As a two-year-old, you know, with you being a two-year-old, I know you were probably smart enough for this, but I wouldn't expect the average two-year-old to be able to deal with quantum physics. (laughs) Well. You know, and I know that was a very easy subject for you back when you were a toddler. Yeah, right. But you get the point. I mean, when you're a little kid, you work on one plus one equals two. By the time you get into junior high, you're working on algebra. By the time you're getting into high school, you're getting into advanced mathematics. By the time you hit your doctorate, 
You are way beyond everybody else. Same thing with the Christian life. But the point is, where do we start? You start with the Word, you start learning the Word, and you keep putting it into practice. Over time, you will begin to see that image of Jesus begin to come more clearly in your life through your words, through your actions, through our thoughts and our feelings. And I think older Christians, as we come to a conclusion today, I think older Christians have a responsibility to become the mentors of these young people, to encourage them to start in the right places and to further their discipleship in areas that may be difficult, but you as a mature believer can help them over those rough places. You know, and I'm thinking that some of these young people that come in here, some of these young guys, it's it's really fun because they come to me and they say, how do I do this? And that's a very biblical thing to say. A lot of evangelicals would look at the scripture and they say, you know, Jay, truth barista, what should I think about this? That's not the question. The question is, how do I do this? That's the biblical worldview, because in the Jewish worldview, it's not what you think, it's what you do that matters. Now, right thinking leads to right doing, so you do need to think, but we can't stop at just thinking about God's Word. Hmm, we need to actually do it. And again, study to learn, learn to do. Well, the production of this particular program called The Truth Barista is done by High Beam Ministry. Isn't that what High Beam is all about? Focusing a specific light in an area that you need to travel. Now we're going to talk to the people who are listening to this podcast. Yes, Jay the Truth Barista, myself, we've started a ministry called High Beam Ministry. And think of car high beams. And it's based on Psalm 119 where it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The tagline to High Beam Ministry is shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. And so really, this particular topic that we're Amazing Larry and I are sharing with you today is to encourage you to get into the Word and to allow God to shine the light on the right path for you. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast.